Houston, El Paso, Indianapolis, Des Moines, Iowa, Northwest Arkansas, Scottsdale, Arizona, Cedar Rapids, uh, Boise, Idaho, Pennsylvania, wherever you are joining from or if you're just tuning in online, we are continuing the series on the book of James. And I'm going to start by reading the passage and then uh, we'll go from there. It says this, James chapter 3, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screens. Verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers. Because you know anyone that will teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect. Able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and are driven by strong winds, They are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil amongst the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it itself is set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water come from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Let me pray one more time. Father, I pray that you would use the instructions and the writings that your younger brother was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write, to instruct us all on how to more effectively and faithfully follow you. I pray for anyone who's never had a moment where they didn't just have you be Lord of their lips, but Lord of their life. Tonight would be their night. Thank you for Jesus, in whom we live, move, and have our being. Amen. Let me start by um, framing up. We are continuing the series, James. If you're just joining us, we've been walking through the book of James. The book of James was written by Jesus' younger brother, so you may not realize Jesus Like you or many of you have siblings, Jesus had younger siblings. James spent his entire life and most of his uh, early adult years not believing his brother was the son of God or the savior of the world. Just some guy starting this kind of fringe cult movement. That is until Jesus died on the cross and came back alive three days later. And James went from saying, my brother is crazy to my brother is the savior of the world. And he spent the rest of his life spreading the message that there's a God who loved humanity and loves humanity so much that he gave his life, he died on the cross, and anyone who accepts the free gift of Jesus in the place will have eternal life with him. But to kick off where we're going to be headed tonight, just as we talk about words, um, I'm going to frame up something that happened in my world. Um, this past weekend, 
I enrolled in a bowling league, which is why I have this. And uh, no, it's not true at all. This past weekend, I was out with my son. We're on the longboard. You know, it's a great day. Things are going great. He gets his scooter out. I got a five-year-old son named Crew. And this is one of the ways we just get energy out. He's all jump on the longboard, which I'm clearly way too old to be doing. And he will get on a scooter and we'll just race down hills around our neighborhood. And so we're racing. And, you know, it's kind of a mixture when your dad of like, hey, sometimes I let you in. And sometimes like I show you who's boss, bro. Here we go. And this was one of those moments where I was like, hey, you've won enough. I got to push you back in your place. And I'm racing down the hill and I'm, you know, I'm catching up to him. And as I'm moving towards him and we're catching up, we're going down this hill and I'm going faster because he was ahead. He moves over in my direction and and he continues to move in my direction. And right at the last minute, the dude just swipes into me with his scooter. And the back of his wheel hits the front of my wheel. And boom, right on the pavement, just total flat out, uh, fell down. <laughs> Looking for the words there. <laughs> what do I call this? And, uh, and I get up. And it's one of those moments where I'm like, oh, oh, man, that hurts so bad. And, I cannot believe you did that, you five-year-old. No, I didn't, I didn't go there. <laughs> I had jumped up and I realized like, man, something is wrong with my hand. And I go home and I like put ice on it. I'm like, we're done, done with the games. Everybody back inside. And, uh, and I put ice in my hand, like continues to swell. And I wake up Sunday morning and we were here at Watermark and I bumped into a friend who's a doctor out there. And they were like, man, you should really get that checked out. So I leave and I go and I go to, you know, doc in the box and I get an x-ray done and they come back out. And they're like, yeah, your hand is fractured. That the, um, oh man, I'm, I, I'm going to butcher the name. Basically, this pinky has a bone that runs underneath it. Uh, and it just totally fractured inside of it. And so I'm like, okay, what does that mean? And you know, what am I having to wear? And she's like, you need to go see an orthopedic surgeon. So we'll go to the orthopedic surgeon, go see him. And I'm like, man, I'm just not really, can I do this without a cast? How about a Band-Aid? And she, she looks at the thing. She says, uh, no, you're definitely going to have a cast. You probably have to have surgery. And, uh, and so that has been my week this week. And, um, and I had never broken a bone before. And you realize something when you break a bone. It's incredibly painful. <laughs> so if at any point I accidentally bump something up here, and something comes out of my mouth, we are talking about the tongue. And it is an illustration, okay? <laughs> but I start there because when we grew up as kids, there was a phrase that was related to bones and related to words that we say, and it's sticks and stones may, but sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. The premise of the statement, really simple, that, hey, you know, there's things that can break a bone and that's going to hurt, but words and people saying mean things to us, this is our response on the playground to Billy the bully, that, hey, you could tease me all you want, your words will never hurt me. There, nothing as painful as breaking a bone. And although breaking a bone is incredibly painful, that sentence is just not true. We know it's not true. Even the reason we say it is to make ourselves feel better, like, no, I don't care what you say. But deep down, we know words are incredibly powerful. This bone is broken and will heal. But there are some words that have been said and words that people have said towards you or even words that you've said towards other people that there's still deep wounds that exist from them. Some of the most painful moments in your life involve with someone, a parent, a father, a sibling, a roommate, a best friend said to you. A comment that somebody made at school about the way that you look, the way that you dress, or about your car, or about you in general. 
that you could think back on and you could play the reel of those memories. There's a lot of memories. Most of your life you won't remember. How crazy is that? You don't know what you had for breakfast six months ago. But there's moments in time that just freeze that have at the heart of them the words that someone spoke. James launches into the conversation about words and he says, when it comes to believers, there is a very specific way that you and I are to understand the power of our words and to use our words towards one another. So we're going to continue looking at this idea uh, or at this book of James where he covers 14 different subjects. We call it a book. It was really a letter written by Jesus's younger brother to Christians that lived all over at that time, the known world. And he covers a number of different topics and he moves through and James begins to address words, and we're going to walk through what he lays out as, here's how powerful your words are. Here's the potential that if you're not careful with your words, your mouth can create. And then he launches into ultimately the source, because if we're going to have a solution for our words and some of the carnage that we've caused, or carnage that has been caused and hurt towards us, we've got to know the source and the solution that comes as a result of that source. So I'm going to read again verse 1 through 4. And then we'll pause and we'll kind of talk about what he just says the power of our tongue is and read it again. He says, not many of you should become teachers. Which immediately is like, whoa, bro, why you got to go there right there just like that? Uh, That's what I do. Because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Why would he immediately launch there? He's bringing up the conversation of words. And what does a teacher do? Uh, you know, a role of a teacher, or especially when you go to a church or a pastor or somebody's on a stage doing what I'm doing right now, is to use their tongue to communicate, to use their words to talk to people. And he says, you need to know that people who do that are going to have a lot of words coming out of their mouth, which means they're going to have a lot more that they're going to be held accountable for. And especially if there's someone who leads the people of God astray. In other words, false teachers are people who claim to be Christians and they're all over the place. There's churches that are filled with people or they claim to be churches or they claim to be Christians with people who stand on a stage and they sell something the Bible doesn't teach. They communicate things that God doesn't say are true. They, for whatever reason, for desire for profit, for whatever reason, desire for a crowd, they sell a message that is not what Christianity talks about and they're gonna give an account. And James brings up the conversation by saying, hey, this is why it's a dangerous thing to be someone who uses their words constantly or their entire job is related to their words because your words can be an incredibly powerful thing, an incredibly dangerous thing. Proverbs 10, 19 says, when words abound, transgression is inevitable, but he who restrains his words is wise. Then he launches into, we all stumble in many ways, which how encouraging is that? There's some passages where are like, oh man, I just can't relate to that. If you can't relate to that, you are blind, bro. We all stumble. Nobody's perfect. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect. Able to keep their whole body in check. In other words, he's like, hey, if you could learn to control and restrain your tongue, you would be a perfect person because everything you want to get out of control Lots of problems that exist out there, a lust problem, an anger problem, an idolatry of the way that you look problem, a money problem, all those are problems. But if you could master your tongue, you'd have such self-control, you could master all those other things. And he's bringing it up and he's just hammering home the idea of the tongue. When we put bits in the mouths of horses, so he goes into an illustration, gotta love it, he's totally a teacher because he goes through like six different illustrations back to back, doesn't even unpack them all the way, just like, here's a horse, what about this boat? Here's a tongue. 
here's a fire. You just go one to the next to the next. We put bits in the mouth of a horse to make them obey us. We can turn the whole animal. If you didn't grow up on a farm like me, you may not know what a bit is. This is a horse bit. You would put this into the mouth of a horse bit. It's a very tiny thing, but a thousands of pound animal, this enormous, I was talking to a friend just a few minutes ago who uh, his family has horses and they do horse things and you have these massive, incredibly powerful animals. What? <laughs> what did I say? Horse things. They do horse things. I'm from the city, bro. All right, get off me. Don't look at me like all you guys grew up on a farm. Good grief, man. You're holding a Louis Vuitton purse. You're judging me up here right now. Come on. I'm just kidding. Louis is great. That's awesome. Okay. Point being, you'll have this giant animal, huge, that you could put hundreds and hundreds of pounds on the back of them. They can pull enormous trailers, incredibly powerful. They could end your life with a single kick. And you put this in their mouth and you can control their entire body and everything that they do. And he just says, that's what the tongue is like. If you can learn to control your tongue, you will learn to control the direction of your life. I'm gonna explain even more what he says. And then he brings up uh, another great illustration, which is a rudder on a boat. He brings up boat things, okay? Well, yeah, Louis Vuitton. And uh, <laughs> he brings up a boat. He says, look, these massive, massive boats. Like if you've ever seen a cruise ship, been on a cruise ship, you see this enormous ship. And then at the back of the this like half a mile long ship, you'll have this rudder that's not much bigger than I am, this tiny little rudder in proportion to it. And he says, you turn that thing and it turns the entire direction of a ship. And he's using the point that your words and your mouth is connected to the direction of your life. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes incredibly great boasts. The first idea I just want to talk about is James saying, man, the power of your words, the power of your words, that it is a tiny muscle with a titanic or an enormous impact. If I was to say, what is the most powerful muscle in the body? What would you say? You say it? Legs. Legs, okay. What? Heart? That's muscle, I didn't even think about the heart. Uh, mind, glute. I would have said the glute. Apparently it's actually the jaw or in terms of like proportion or strength or the jaw muscle in there. But the tongue is also a muscle it's the only muscle in your body that never needs rest. How about that? Some people, you'd be like, dude, they need some rest on their tongue. <laughs> it's the only muscle that never wears out and never needs rest. And I would argue is not in terms of strength or physical force, but is the most powerful muscle that the human body has. The destruction that you can do to someone, you could be sitting in your chair right now and you could ruin a person's night. You could be sitting next to someone and with a sentence, have them in tears. Sentences shaped your life where somebody came in and they said something and your family was never the same as they announced that with words. It's an incredibly powerful tool. It's this tiny little thing. And James is just trying to say, hey, it seems tiny, but this thing has the potential to direct the entire course of your life. It's one of the smaller muscles that we have. If we were going to put it in proportion, you guys know what this is? Where's my farm people? Huh? This is a cow tongue. I cut this out of my cow this morning. <laughs> yeah, old Betsy, she is. But to fit in terms of, you know, teaching James, who just loves illustrations, really, 
the proportion of the impact of our tongue in our life is far greater than just this tiny little thing. It'd be far bigger if we could see it in terms of its impact in our life. And James is saying, your tongue is powerful. It has the power to direct the course of your life. What do I mean by it is powerful and can direct the course of your life? The job you have right now is because of the words that you said. Think about it. In other words, your ability, if you have a job and you're able to pay bills and you can afford an apartment or afford rent or, or make ends meet, your ability to do that because you have a job is directly connected to the things that you said or didn't say in that interview. Your ability to get a date is directly connected to the things that you do or don't say. In other words, the fact that I got married happened because I got down on one knee and with words asked my wife to marry her and with two words, I do. Everything changed. Your ability to not be put in the friend zone. You guys know what the friend zone is? Friend zone is a dark and lonely place to be in. (laughs) But it's when you're a guy, she's a girl, and you got interest in her, and she's like, man, I like you like a brother. And you're like... (laughs) And uh, your being placed in the friend zone is directly connected to the words that you say. Whether or not she's going to go out with you is directly connected to the sentences that you use when you speak with him or with her. They really do. They shape. They direct. They're a huge part of our life. Your opinion of somebody is shaped by the words that they say. The type of person that they are is directly connected. I mean, you think about like, oh, they're so kind or they're so polite. Try to describe who they are and it not have anything to do with their words. Someone's opinion of you is shaped by the words that you spoke today. You've been interacting, you may have met somebody new, and it's directly connected to whatever words they express. They're powerful. They have the ability to direct our life. Some of your life was shaped and directed by the words and the power that came from words of somebody else, for good or for bad. Some of you guys, like somebody believed in you and they came alongside of you and you're a doctor, you're in medical school today and they were like, you are really good at science and math. You should do this. And you believe that and you were encouraged by that and it changed your life. Some of the most painful, biggest insecurities that you have are a result of the words that someone used when you were young, when you were old, when it was uh, a year ago, when it was five years ago. There's people who, because of the power of words, maybe it was some of the things that their parents, they did say or they didn't say. It's left this hole, this insecurity that you've been like trying to fill ever since. And the reason you hook up with guys on the weekend is because you feel insecure because some words weren't shared by your mom or your father, or the words that were shared were harsh, they were abusive, like candidly, let me just be honest, some of you guys had really sucky parents, and that sucks, and you didn't deserve that, and they weren't kind with their words, and there's some real harm and real hurt, and it really impacted you, it's, it's directed your life, and God didn't want that for you, God loves you, there's healing that can happen there, but words have enormous power in directing our life and our words have enormous power in directing our life. Today, you may have made a comment and you haven't thought about that comment at all. But you said it to someone about either the way that they look or the way they're doing their job or something and they haven't stopped thinking about it since. Candidly, talking about this subject, anyone a verbal processor here? Or you like talk? There's three of you, really? <laughs> the rest of you are like, nope, I calculate everything before I speak 
Good grief. It's, uh, verbal processors, you are my people. Which, honestly, it's the only way to live. It makes life exciting. I don't know what's coming next. And, uh, <laughs> but there's some downsides that come with that and that I have, as much as any topic in this book, candidly, my mouth has gotten me in trouble and my words and a offhanded thought or sarcastic comment or something that was over the line really hurt people. And, um, and I hate it. And this was a reminder for me. And James would say, you have a weapon constantly with you. You may not think your words are powerful. You may not think that you could actually do damage in somebody's life, but you have a powerful weapon that carries around with you by using your words. Then he goes into the power, the potential that our words have. So they have the power to direct and then they have the potential to do something else. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. He uses another illustration where he goes into a spark. In 2020, California had the largest number of forest fires and destruction in modern history. It's estimated by accrued weather that between 130 billion and 150 billion dollars worth of damage were created. Millions and millions of acres. And if you turn on the news at all, you were probably familiar with all the different forest fires that were out there. All that began with a spark. It always takes like two times. <laughs> and that single flame just set on fire. And James is saying, in the same way, the tongue is also a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body. In other words, distinct from the other ways, the damage that it can do. You can hit somebody in the face and you can break a bone, but you can hit somebody with your words and you can break a lot more. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the course of one's life on fire. It can be incredibly destructive. And it itself is set on fire by hell. In other words, it can be a tool that is used by Satan. The potential of our words, the second idea, is for incredible damage. The potential of your words is that they can be incredibly damaging in your life and in my life. Some of you, you know this, and it goes without saying, like you, there were words that were spoken, maybe words that you spoke, and they caused a fire. And what does a fire do? It has victims. And your dad said something, your mom said something, your old roommate said something, your old boyfriend said something, somebody, there were words that were used about you. And man, why do you look that way? Or, you know, you're just, a, you're a little chubby, and you were 12. And you've carried that, it shaped your life. And it turned into an eating disorder. And still today, the way you post pictures on Instagram is related to wanting to be seen a certain way because you still carry the pain from those words. You're a burn victim. All of us, in some degree, are burn victims of other people's words and are the perpetrators of creating burn victims in our life and in our world. And James says, you need to know you carry something that has tremendous power to damage all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. I love that line. One, because it's like, really? James, in your day, people, like today, you go to SeaWorld and they got Shamu and he's going up there and it's like throwing a fish and he's up and he's like waving at you. And James says in their day, they were still doing the same thing. Reptiles, animals, birds, sea creatures, they were all being tamed, which just feels awesome if James is going down to whatever ocean and just seeing Shamu down there. But his point is, hey, we can tame. You can teach a dog to sit. 
You could teach, you could go to the zoo in Dallas and you could see a lion and they have exhibits where they'll be like, oh, look, hey, this is uh, Simba. And Simba sit and Simba sits and they'll like shake. This animal that a hundred years ago would have been terrifying if you ever ran into out in the wild. And now he's just sitting in there like wagging his tail like he's a puppy. And he says, you can tame all of that. But the tongue, no human being can tame it. It is a restless evil that is full of deadly poison. Poisonous, the word that he uses is really, it's a word for venom or snakes or for uh, something that had poison that would come out of it. He says, that's what our words can be like. In my yard, we have, uh, we'll have weeds that grow and I was just kind of in a hurry and I was trying to get these weeds to stop growing in the midst of the grass. And so I took this weed killer and it was a weed killer that will kill anything. And I didn't realize it kills anything. I was in my mind thinking, man, if I just spray it right on the weed, it'll just take the weed out. Everything will be fine. So I went around, sprayed different weeds inside of the yard. Fast forward a week later, and these huge patches of dead grass are all over my yard like aliens invaded or something because that poison, it seeps out and it destroys anything that it touches. And James says, that's what our words can be like. And somebody who has a loose cannon or an inability, inability to control their words, it's like poison that can spew out and it's going to affect and infect all over their life. What types of poisonous speech does the Bible talk about? Well, the ones, there's a lot of them. Some of the most relevant ones to this room, underneath the category of like, man, poisonous speech, they're going to impact in a negative way those around them. One I wrote out would be gossip. What is gossip? Gossip is talking negatively or talking bad about somebody whenever they're not present. The Bible hammers over and over and over again how gossip is a big deal to God. Think about that. Thousands of years ago, God was like, I don't want you guys circling up and talking about Bill with not Bill here. That's pretty profound. And God was like, that's just not because what does gossip do? It destroys, it erodes relationships. Gossip, if I talk about somebody, if I'm talking about JD and I'm talking with Jonathan about JD and JD's not here and I'm like, man, JD's just the worst. What's he doing with that hat? What a, what a goof. And Jonathan is gonna hear that and his perspective on JD is being shaped, he's not even around. It's dishonoring, it's wrong, it's sin, it's evil. And the Bible hammers, this is not to be something that marks people of God. Uh, Proverbs chapter 16 says this, gossip can separate the best of friends. Gossip separates the best of friends. When you talk negatively about someone who's there. As Christians, we're called, hey, if they're not around, I'm just not gonna talk about them. Anything that is negative about somebody that someone else starts telling me about, if that person's not there, I'm not gonna talk about it. I'm gonna cut them off. I'm gonna say, hey, have you gone and talked to that person? Or you should share that with that person. I don't need that. And it poisons the listeners. The Proverbs say that they're like delicious morsels that go down into the inner parts, which is a genius analogy. Because if you gossip, which is something that honestly is one of those sins that we kind of easily tolerate, but you know exactly what he's talking about. It's like, oh, delicious morsels. Ow, that hurt my hand. Gosh, ow. Um, they go back into, uh, they go deep into the inner body. In other words, they taste, they're delicious morsels. They taste good. You're like, mm, give me the tea, come on. But they ruin the listeners who hear them. One of the things that was so astonishing to me when I started working on staff a little over 12 years ago here was I came on staff and I was told about something called the 24-hour rule. What's the 24-hour rule? 24-hour rule was that if anyone approaches you and talks to you or you and someone else or 
you're in a group and anyone brings up and talks negatively about someone or criticizes or not in a kind, positive, encouraging way about someone who is not present, you have a responsibility to say, oh, have you told this person that? And if they say no, to say to them, okay, great. Well, you have 24 hours. And if in 24 hours you haven't talked to Bill, so I'm gonna give you 24 hours, you need to go tell Bill what you were just telling us. If in 24 hours you haven't, I'm gonna go to Bill. And I'm gonna wind the circle and just say, hey, when you were not here, he was telling me about all the relational drama and honestly how you're a little annoying to him right now. And I just think you should know. And so let's all talk about it right now. You know what it did? It did something really beautiful and healthy to our staff. It made gossip not safe. It did. It made it to where you were the person and you're like, hey, have I told you about Bill? And they'd be, have, have you told me? You're like, oh man, now I'm gonna have to go tell Bill that I was telling you about Bill. It made you not want to talk about it. Christians, this is what God over and over says, you are not to talk negatively about him or about her, even if it's, hey, let's just pray for them. They're really, really off right now that I am called to talk to people, not about people when they're not present. Another type of poisonous talk. And let me just say one last thing about gossip. If somebody gossips to you, you know, they say if they cheat with you, they're willing to cheat on you. If somebody gossips to you, they will be willing to gossip about you. It's food for thought. That same morsels you're eating, they are dishing out to other people when you're not around. What's another type? Another type would be slander. What's slander? It's just more malicious. This is like, man, Twitter feels like that should just change its name to slander because it is talking negatively and demeaning to people, attacking people, addressing motive to people, making assumptions about people and talking negatively about them. It's another poisonous speech that is not to be named or not to take place among Christians. Candidly, slander is satanic. Why do I say that? Because the very first person who slandered or talked negatively bad about someone in the Bible was Satan. Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, running around naked. There's the fruit. Devil comes up or Satan comes up. Serpent says, hey, you should really eat that fruit. She's like, no, we were told not to. And he's like, really? Did God really say you shouldn't eat the fruit? I mean, come on. And you know why he did? It's because he knows if you eat it, then your eyes are going to be open. You're going to be like him. And he's trying to hold out on you. And you should eat the fruit. The first person to slander with Satan. Its origins come from that. And God says, honor matters. How you talk about people, how you interact with people, how you tweet at people, what you text to people, what you say about people behind their back really, really matters. What's another one? Tearing people down. This happens to someone's face of like, you're always like this, or you're just not, where you would tear someone down with your speech. Ephesians chapter four, verse 29 says, do not let any unwholesome talk or rotting talk, the Greek word there is rotting talk, come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Another one would be angry speech, that I would be quick to lash out when somebody attacks me in a sign motive and just come right back at them. Sometimes this happens where we lash out in our words because somebody hits like a nerve of a wound from our past where we just have trust issues. And I grew up and I had trust issues and somebody breaks my trust and I just come at them in angry speech. And James says that you and I, he said early in the book, you were to be slow 
or sorry, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. There was something I, I was told about called the tongue test. We're going to try it for one day. One day. See how far you get. And one day that you would do these four things or five things and not do these five things, sorry, and do this one thing. For one day. Try it for one hour tonight at Torchy's. See how far you can get. No complaining. Tomorrow, wake up, you go to the office, you're not going to complain about anything. Some of you guys won't have the ability to interact with coworkers because your entire relationship is built on complaining. That's all you do. You get there and you're like, oh my gosh, did you see Beverly? Did, really? She parked there again? Who does she think she is? And why? Uh, who drinks decaf? This is ridiculous. And your ability to even interact with people, they're going to come at you and be like, who drinks decaf? And be like, I don't know. It's probably better for us. Let's give it a try. Try that no matter what someone says, I'm not going to complain. For one day, don't brag that you would not be quick to say anything that is bragging about yourself that you would not gossip or repeat bad information about someone else, that you would not insult any person, that you would not defend or excuse yourself. You wouldn't be defensive. You wouldn't say, man, yeah, I I was upset, but it's because of X, Y, and Z, that you wouldn't excuse any behavior. So that you wouldn't complain, don't brag, no gossip, no insulting, no defending or excusing behavior, and that you do or you would affirm and encourage people. And I'm going to intentionally be encouraging. This honestly is one of those things that I was talking with my teammate. I can't remember who said it earlier, but girls are way better at this, honestly, than guys. So this is maybe one that you're going to have to hammer on tomorrow, that you would be encouraging to people around. Because guys, this just doesn't come natural to us. You sit around and you just dog on one another all day long. I just want to encourage you or challenge you to say something encouraging somebody in your life, that roommate, people around you, to affirm, to celebrate, to point it out, and to share it. Last thing I would say is to those of you who have been burned victims or have been wounded, or have done wounding, there's damage that will take time to heal because the power of our tongues is incredible and the potential for Destruction is enormous, and you have been hurt, and somebody did say something. Or you were the person who said something. And you can say, I'm sorry, and you could ask for forgiveness, but those are wounds that take time to heal. You can say something, but it's, words are like toothpaste. When they're out, you can't put them back in. And it may take time to heal and being gracious and patient with people in your life, just like... It, you know, my son can be sorry, Dad, I, I cut you off and you fell down on the ground. And that's one thing, but it doesn't mean it's going to heal any faster. There still has to be some healing involved. And for that to take place, I love where James points us to next because he gives us to the source or he brings up the source and really where that healing can take place. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. How true is that? We can all be sitting in this circle right now, I know I have, or I can, and be like, God of revival, pour it out, pour it, and then leave here, and on 635, be flipping the bird to somebody who's going by, or attacking and and immediately chewing out the Ikea person on the phone, because all those furniture pieces didn't come together, 
And in a moment, you go from praising God to cursing him. I mean, I know I can leave and I can be preaching right now and by 9.30 tonight, have my wife in tears. And James says, this should not be so. That's what he says. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, so he's bringing up the source. Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So he brings that a lot, but ultimately he points us back to the source. That When it comes to the words that we say, they come through the tongue, but they've come ultimately from the heart. Jesus would say in Luke chapter six, he said this multiple times, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So the third idea of the power of our tongues is to direct our life. The potential of our tongues is incredible destruction. And the producer of our words is the heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I love that he brings up made in God's likeness. Why is that powerful? Basically says, you praise God, then you curse people made in God's image. James wrote to an audience that wasn't like the audience we live in today. In other words, his audience had just been introduced to the fact that, hey, every single person you've ever met, no matter where they live, how much they make, what they look like, how old, young, married, single, all of them are made in God's image. So anytime you offend them, you are offending their maker, whose image they are made in. We think that's normal. We think it's natural. We think everybody should think that. That is not the way most of history has saw the world. That's not the way many cultures today see the world. That every person out there matters is significant because they're all made in the image of God. And he points out to his readers, when you insult them with your words, you insult their maker, their creator, which should not be so. Just like when someone insults my kids, they insult me. They came up and they were to insult my children, those who are made in my image. I'm not being like, oh man, yeah, he's the worst. Didn't he give me something, right? Uh, they insult me. And James says, you, you don't just insult them with your words and who you attacked. When you were short with the person at your office or when you were dishonest and disrespectful to that old girlfriend or that one night stand, you dishonor God. And this should not be so. But in order to address the problem, you've got to go to the source. And that source is ultimately the heart. The mouth is not the problem. The heart is. Just like water coming out of a well, you can tell what type of well is there, if it's salt or if it's fresh, based on uh, whatever type of water is coming out. And what is coming out of a person tells you what is on the inside. To change the sentences that come out of your mouth, you have to change the source they're coming from. What Jesus says is the heart. I think if you stop and think about it, we know this is true. Why do people gossip? There's a lot of reasons, probably. One of the reasons is, man, I'm going to talk bad about this person because candidly, I feel bad about myself. I'm insecure. I'm jealous of that other person. I just want to feel good by being the person who kind of knows the tea and knows the information. And there's something broken on the inside. There's an insecurity. There's something messed up in the heart, James would say. That's why you gossip. You need to dig deeper and address that. Why do I lash out and get angry whenever somebody's late because I feel disrespected because my parents weren't around enough when I was a child and it's disrespectful and they were not on time and I lash out at them and I feel justified. And James would say, the problem is you've got a messed up heart. If you're gonna change the source of those words, the source of those sentences, you don't go to the tongue, you go to the heart that they're coming from. As Jesus said again in Matthew chapter six, verse 45, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. 
If you're dating someone and you want to know what's in their heart and you want to know what's in their heart before you move forward, how can you know? It comes down to what they say. This passage is a really interesting one because James, he doesn't give a lot of like, well, here's, you know, it comes from the, what's in the heart and in the spring and here's, here's the three steps. Let's walk through them. A, always be kind. B, be careful to make, he just ends the passage. He moves on as we'll cover next week into the next subject. But he points out, hey, the words that you have are incredibly powerful. They can cause tremendous damage and destruction in your life. And the source of those words, the production of those they reflect that there's something going on inside of the heart of someone. So if you're going to address it, you've got to address at the heart. I was seeing that surgeon yesterday, and, um, and I was talking to them, and I was getting options, and she was basically walking me through like, man, it's broken, and um, we need to operate. We need to operate this week. I was like, we need to operate this week. And I, really? Is, is that bad? And what's going to happen? And I, I don't know where you're at on the spectrum of medical stuff. I feel like I just erred to the side of like, can we just throw a Band-Aid on there and I'll get back in the game and we'll see what happens? And she was like, yeah, you can do that. But if you do that, because it, it's displaced, it's not gonna heal correctly. Like bones will heal. It'll, it'll heal, just won't heal correctly. So for the rest of your life, when you grip something, it won't be as strong. It'll probably bother you whenever you squeeze something. So you could try to do it on your own and you throw a cast on there and not have surgery and not throw pins inside of it. It just won't heal correctly. And when you read this passage, James mentions some really interesting things. The Bible, you've got to love it because it's so honest. He says three things that are both encouraging and reminding and candidly sobering. He says, hey, look, tongue is untamable. You can tame Simba, Shamu, can't tame that. He says, we all stumble in many ways. If you were a perfect person, you'd be able to control your tongue. And nobody out there is perfect. And then he says, this inconsistency with our mouth where in one moment I'm praising God I'm speaking kind truth and words that are wise and loving and caring and then the next moment I'm angry or I'm gossiping or I'm spewing poison this should not be this way so James and it shouldn't be this way but it is this way because the tame is untamable and all of us are imperfect and all of us stumble and all of us mess up with our words what are we supposed to do with that this is why the source matters so much. It's just like in that scenario where, man, hey, you can try to fix it on your own. It just won't work. You got to take it to a doctor who knows how to fix the problem. The Bible says that when it comes to the things we say, that is a heart issue, which is God's arena. That's an issue that we bring front and center and you bring to him because you could try to fix it on your own. It just won't work. We take those areas of our hearts where we realize, man, I am prone to gossip. There is something inside of me that is messed up. It is a not good, okay thing that I get delight in seeing other people fail and talking about it. There's something messed up, God, that that is present. Will you help me? And James in the Bible would say, we bring those issues of the heart to the one who can change, who can heal, who's in the business of changing hearts, of bringing and healing those hurt, angry parts of your past where somebody lied to you or somebody cheated on you, somebody abused you, something that it still, you carry it with you and it impacts how you interact with other people. And James would say, the Bible just is clear, you bring those to the God who is able to do what you and I can't, which is heal 
the heart. So if you're a Christian, the application for tonight would be remember, remember, your words are powerful. You carry around a loaded gun with you everywhere you go with tremendous potential to do damage. And that weapon is one that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, every idle word will be given account for. Sobering and crazy and convicting is that. Every word you and I will give an account for. So the first would be just remember, and the second would be surrender. God is both Lord of your life, which means he has to be Lord of our lips and the things that we say. And when we find ourselves speaking in poisonous, destructive, damaging, un Christ-like ways. We're called to confess those things, to surrender and say, God, will you help me? Confess them to other people, bring a right in the light and say, God, will you help me? There's a heart issue that's taking place here. Why did I respond in such anger in that moment? Why did I lash out at this person that way? Why am I so upset about that? Why am I so prone to talk bad about that person behind their back? And we would bring those things to God who's in the business of being and bringing about healing. Second application for those who are not Christians in the room is that you and I, or the you, if you've never had a moment where you surrendered, not just your lips, but your life, that you accepted the free gift of God who became a man, who died on the cross in your place, who was the older brother of Jesus, who lived and who James spent the rest of his life telling the message that we call the gospel. What's the gospel? It's the good news. It's what I just said, that God has made a way For you to spend eternity, he wants to spend eternity with you, not because of any way that you have earned it or would ever earn it or could ever earn it or deserve it, but because he loved you despite all the different ways you've used your word, your life, your body, yourself in a way that didn't honor him, was wrong, and you knew it was wrong at the time. All of those things, nailed to the cross, paid for, debt canceled, paid in full, and your invitation tonight is not just to say, man, I'm going to get a cussing jar and try to not do that as much, but I'm going to surrender my life. I'm going to accept the free gift that God offered by giving his life for me on the cross. Because God, when he was here on the planet, gave three words, three words that for many of us, they changed everything. Dying in John chapter 19, the final words of the Son of God, it is finished. What does it is finished mean? It means everything that you've ever done, paid for, it's done, it's over, it's nailed to the cross. You couldn't out the payment that God has already offered. He knows sins you're gonna commit next Thursday you don't even know about yet. All of it paid for on the cross and he is offered and extended out of his love for you and for me. That's what Christians believe. If you think Christians believe you come to church, you gotta learn the songs, try to be nice, pay your taxes and you know, it's the American way. That's not what Christians believe. Christians believe that we are so messed up, we'd never be able to earn a relationship with God. But God did what we could not do by dying in our place. And then he rose from the dead. And you know what happened to James? James saw his brother buried in the ground, come back out of the grave. And James spent the rest of his life saying, it's true. And he went around and he ended up losing his life eventually saying, it's true. And people tried to stone him. They tried to kill him, threw him off a building at one point. He says, I I don't want to tell you guys. I saw a guy die, who went into the ground. He was my brother, knew him my whole life. I wept. I was broken up. I couldn't believe. He's gone. He's gone. He's gone. And three days later, he came out of that grave. And you know what James went around telling people? You know what the New Testament says? Everyone went around telling people? It wasn't, hey, be a nice person, turn the other cheek, 
really try hard, you know, give to Caesar with Caesars. It said, they all went around and said, I saw a man die, like dead in the ground over Rover. And three days later, he came back alive. And you could kill me. You do whatever you want to me. You could tell me that, you know, I can't talk about that. I don't care. I saw a guy dead, alive again. And he said, if I accept him as Lord, as Savior, as payment for my sin, I will spend eternity and live forever with him. And he used his words and his life for the rest of his days to tell of the God who today is extending that same invitation, that same love that he had for James for every person who's ever lived, the same love that sent him to the cross for you and for me. And tonight is your moment to surrender not just your words, your life, by accepting that free gift by faith. God, I believe I'm a sinner. There's nothing I could do to earn a relationship with you, but I receive, I believe, I, I believe that's true. I believe you gave your life for me. I accept that. And you died and you rose again. And because of that, I will live forever with you. And that's the invitation, wherever you are, that he extends to you tonight. Let me pray. Father, thank you that it is finished. Every time that I have misspoken, spoke poorly, all of it was nailed to the cross. Father, I pray for people in the room, they were tremendous burn victims. They grew up in an abusive home. They were attacked by people close to them. And they carry the wounds and the scars. And I pray that you would do what you do, which is heal. You'd allow them to experience at a heart level healing from some of those pain points and moments. I pray you would help us to use our tongues to remember the power of our words and surrender our life and our lips to you. I pray for anyone who's never surrendered their life, has never trusted in Jesus. They thought Christianity or they think Christianity is about being a good person, which is not at all what it is. It's about accepting the free gift from the only one who is good, which is you. Father, would you help us? We surrender to you our lives and our lips. We worship you now in song. Amen.